Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So this week, we begin the new Sefer of Vayikra, very exciting, of Leviticus, which, of course, is the book that is all about the sacrifices and a lot of the ritual law, the stuff that those of us who are more inclined to the to the stories and the, the characters and the dynamism uh, that are within the other books may struggle a little bit more to connect with. Um, and I probably say that same introduction every year, but I think, you know, it, it's important to point out that different people connect to different parts of the material um, to varying degrees and in different ways. So I wanted to turn today um, to sort of a so-called classic um, explanation or, or, or Devar Torah that is talked about with Vayikra, um, but I want to take it another step further uh, to consider the significance in light of really the circumstances of the world right now. So the big question when you turn to Sefer Vayikra is, what is the purpose of these sacrifices, right? Why do we have this entire system commanded to us by God, that the way that we worship God is through animal sacrifice? And not just through animal sacrifice, but detailed animal sacrifice. And also, of course, not exclusively animal. There's, you know, the, the grains, the mincha and all that stuff for people maybe can't afford it for different circumstances. But why is sacrifice the main mode of serving God, worshiping God, um, certainly in a, the original form of the Torah? As obviously later we lost the Korbanot and now we focus on tefillah, on prayer. And so there's this sort of, again, classic um, debate between the Rambam, between Maimonides and the Ramban, Nachmanides. And so the Rambam, being the Rambam, um, looks at the sacrifices and says, well, you know, he's not like such a fan of this idea on its own. Um, but this is what the other, you know, nations of the time were doing. This is about more historical circumstances. And this is how, you know, the Egyptians and the Chaldeans around them were worshiping, were worshiping period. And so, you know, that's the system that God gave us. Of course, it's differentiated to suit Israel and to be different than the other nations. But ultimately, that's the system that God gave us because it's reflective of what the other systems of worship were at the time. Of course, that doesn't mean that Rambam is necessarily a, a fan of animal sacrifice as an ideal means of worshiping God, but rather it's what suited the needs of the people at the time. And the Ramban finds that that explanation, I think, really um, distasteful, I guess you could say, that it, there's much be, that he's, you know, basically says there must be much more going on than just that. This isn't just a historical argument. It must be that there's a greater meaning, a greater purpose um, behind these sacrifices. And so what he says is that, well, a sacrifice represents the way that people are, the way that people live through the world, let's say that our actions or everything we do is dictated through or expressed through our thought, our speech, and our action, right? We think something and then we speak and we also act. And the, the, uh, the sacrifices are there in many cases to atone for things we did wrong. And so he says, when, when we commit a sin, right? And then we bring a korban in order to atone for it, we put our hands on it for this the act of smicha. Um, 
as a means really of expressing, of transferring our sins onto this animal. So he says, you put your hands on the animal, you confess your sin verbally, right? Which corresponds to the speech, to that part of the action. Um, and then we burn the body, which corresponds to the physical actions that we've taken, right? And we go through this step-by-step to correspond to the step-by-step nature of how human beings move throughout the world, affect the world, right? We speak, we act, and those are the things that the actions that sometimes get us in trouble. And so when we have this animal that we are sacrificing in order to atone for something that we ourselves did, we are looking at this animal and we are literally revisiting the step of um, events that led to us committing that sin in the first place through the body of that animal, through the confession of our sins onto the animal, and then the detailed burning and deconstruction of, of the animal to correspond to every single part of us. And this was not an instantaneous process, right? You can imagine the sacrifice took a long time. I mean, it's a huge physical ordeal of dealing with the animal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of time for the person to think. Right. This isn't something you just do. You snap your fingers and it's done. This is something where, you know, you're really there's plenty of time to to reflect to meditate on what you did wrong and to really appreciate what this animal is going through and what that animal then what that animal is going through that um, it then says about yourself and what you did wrong. And so. I think that this is, first of all, I think this is certainly a, a more, I think some, you could argue, meaningful explanation, um, at least I think in a time where we don't do this anymore, of saying, well, there really was this fundamental um, parallel experience that the Israelites were having when they brought a, a sacrifice, that they really, it wasn't just like, okay, here's what we do, because this is how the other peoples worship, but that it was really about like, here is a full process that is designed to put you, to force you to revisit that moment where you did something wrong. And also to just reflect on how you move throughout the world, how you affect the world, how you affect other people, and try to reconsider about how to do that differently next time. <clears throat> it's really the ultimate act of self-reflection, but also seeing yourself through that animal, right? Using someone else to see yourself. And I think that, like I said, especially in light of this year, there's something, I think there's something especially powerful about this idea that the ultimate way to see yourself in the world, um, to appreciate your role in the world, is to look at another being, of course, in this case, the animal, and its experience, and to use that as a point to really reflect back on yourself. Now, for the purposes of that conversation specifically, that's really about using someone else to arrive at a better understanding of your own experience. But I think that what we're seeing a lot is right now in the world, um, really, frankly, with the with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, is this notion of empathy, and not just empathy. But the notion of this idea that I think many people are having, which is looking at someone else's experience, and it's almost impossible not to see yourself in that other person's experience. I think that the there's been so much, thank God to the, the 
the brave journalists who've, who've done an unbelievable job, I think, of reporting not just the facts of the war, but the experience of the victims, the experience of the Ukrainians who have stayed to fight, and the experience of those who are fleeing. I mean, I, I listen every day uh, to the New York Times, the Daily Podcast, and and just just alone, the reporting they're doing on the refugees, um, the the horror. I mean, just the the sheer terror, the upset of people having to leave their families. One woman was sobbing because she had to leave her parents back in Ukraine, but she had no choice because she had to flee. She also had to protect her children. It's so emotional and so raw and so accessible. I mean, you really feel like in some ways you're standing right before this person who's going through such a tremendous experience that I think it's, it's, it's impossible not to hear these stories and to think, that's so easily be me, right? That, I mean, what would I do if I had to suddenly flee my country, at, you know, at the, the just overnight all of a sudden? How would I feel if I had to leave, you know, the men in my life behind? How would I feel if I had to leave my, my you know, elderly parents behind? God forbid, all of these things. But it just evokes, it's so emotional and so raw that I think it 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 just, it's impossible not to stir up within us this sense of, wow, that could so easily be me. Um, and I think a very a very humbling way of doing that. And so I think there is an interesting connection between what I think so anyone who's following this war right now, I think is experiencing on some level, which is just such horror at what is happening, but also just the, the unavoidable fact that when you hear these stories over and over again, that of course you're going to see yourself within them. And that's really going to force you into a place, even if you aren't intending it, of more of more empathy, I think, for the people who are experiencing it, of actually taking the time to hear the stories and the inevitability of seeing yourself within them. And I I, I think that in some ways that's really the 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 ultimate the ultimate goal of interpersonal relationships in the Torah. I mean, famously, of course, the Torah says, right? I mean, you should love your neighbor as yourself. You have to extend as much compassion and love to another person as you would to yourself. You have to see yourself, you have to see, you know, another person's story as your own. Whenever someone is struggling, you have to see it as though it was your own struggle. And that that, I think, really is the goal of the Torah. That's the Torah's ultimate hope for us is that we can practice, we can live our lives with enough empathy and identity with other people that their narratives almost become our own. Their suffering becomes our own. And I think that connecting back to to this idea of the Ramban and the Korbanot, that that's really what I think what he's arguing here is that God gave us a chance to atone. And how do you atone? Well, of course, we're not going to do that with another person, God forbid, with human sacrifice. So instead they do an animal and you look at this creature and you see what it's going through and you say, wow, that could be me. Or in this case, that should be me. Or this is how I worked through the world. And this is how I need to change in order to be able to do it differently.
And so just in taking, just in summary, to take the Ramban's, you know, one, to, to, to wrap that up, I think the Ramban is really saying that when you look at this animal, you should not think of yourself as simply going through a ritual cleansing, right? We love the word ritual. Ritual means performative, but it also, we, we use that word to mean something habitual, something that you just kind of do through the actions and less with that authentic meaning. But know that every korban, is an opportunity to have that entirely authentic human experience that inculcates as much empathy as possible within you. And really, I think, therefore, through that, brings you to to a more a better spot a spot where you're going to correct your actions moving forward and a spot ultimately where your goal is to treat others better. Good job, Is.